to any of it. We look at 1 Samuel and we read a few minutes ago this passage of Scripture here in 1 Samuel chapter number 8 and we see that Israel wanted a king and they wanted to be like every other nation. What a, what a sad statement by Israel. They were special. There was something very special about them. No other nation was led that way. And uh, we see they just want to be like everyone else, want a king set up, and we'll talk more about that tonight as we dive into things. It mentioned there, and I'll mention again, the first and second Samuel were originally written as one book together. And the two books, first and second Samuel, cover about 150 years of Israel's history and take us from the final judge of Israel, Samuel, to the, and leads us into a kingdom ruled by David by the end of it who's described as a man after God's own heart. First Samuel, as we look at here, there's lots that we could get into, and it would take several nights to go through the entire book and give you every detail about the book. But it's named after the, um, the first main character introduced in the book, Samuel. Samuel served as the last judge. He was also a prophet and a priest. And we see basically what happens, what unfolds before our eyes here in the book of 1 Samuel. We see Israel's transition from a theocracy, God-led, to a monarchy led by a king, with Saul being the first. And we just read a few minutes ago here, chapter number 8, and the people wanted something, and Samuel was not thrilled when he heard what they wanted. And he goes to God. I think that that was something that you see that's important. Um, you look at verse number 6 there, it says, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And I love what Samuel does right here. Something uh, just to pick up on. You see that Samuel prayed to God. Man, before he spoke and before he acted and before he said something, he prayed before that happened. And that's a great example for us. There might be things that happen, things that we look at that might not be right or fair that we look at in life, but it's always best to take a little bit of time and pray before you respond. The Bible talks about a soft answer turns away wrath, grievous words stir up anger. And I love the fact how Samuel here took the time to pray before he responded, and God spoke to him, and we see several things. And Sometimes we see in this passage, we see it here in chapter number 8, that God might allow us to have what we think we want in order to correct us and to teach us some things. And what we got to see tonight, you got to be careful what you wish for. Israel wanted a king. And we have the whole Bible before us, and so we know First and Second Samuel. We see First and Second Kings, and we see all the kings that Israel and Judah and how the kingdom gets divided later on under Rehoboam. And we see all these different kings, and a lot of kings did that which was evil in the sight of God. We see a lot of things happen, and we see that God gave them what they wanted. We see that this book is, and think about this. Throughout the scriptures up to this point, the Bible talked about the fact that there would be out of a certain tribe, this prophet would come. It was not the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe that was, and we'll talk more about that. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let's dive in. We see the book is divided into three people. 
And uh, basically, three main people, 1 Samuel. It's Samuel, Saul, and David. Number one, we see Samuel. And Samuel starts, think about a miracle baby marked by his obedience to God. And if you're familiar with the story of Hannah, and we um, heard a little bit about it on here, and I would challenge you to go back and read. And Hannah wanted a child from God. And Eli thought that she was drunk, basically, as she was crying to God, crying to God to answer this prayer and to give her a child. And her husband thought, am I not good enough for you? No, she wanted a child. And she prayed. And, and she said, God, if you give me that child, I will give him, I'll give him to you. I love the fact that she followed through on what she said that she would do. And I think the video portrayed it and told us, and we see that 1 Samuel chapter number 2, we see Hannah's song of praise to God. And another chapter that you should go through, read the entire chapter, and I believe it sets up a lot of things for the entire book and helps us through there. Well, Hannah obeys. She raises up, she weans Samuel and takes him to Eli, and Eli basically, he goes and lives with Eli, and he almost, it's almost like he adopts him there and he's there with him all the time. So I want you to understand as we go through this, Eli had two sons, didn't he? Hophni and Phinehas were their names. And the Bible talks about them being sons, they were sons of Belial. That's what the Bible says. They were wicked young men. They didn't follow any of the things that they should. And Eli was basically taken out of the way because his sons did things against God and Eli didn't step up and do anything about it. Now, one of the things that I love to see is the fact that in spite of all that wickedness that Samuel kind of grew up in, because he was there, I'm sure he saw it, Samuel grew up to love God and learn to serve God in the midst of all that wickedness around him. You know, as a parent, that's encouraging to me. Because look at our world and how wicked our world is today. And I think it, and I know it's always not been easy to raise kids in this world today, but I think it's getting harder and harder to raise children for God today. But think about Samuel living with Hophni and Phinehas there and the evil that they did and see that God still can work and God used him in a great way. And I thank God for that. In chapter number three, he goes, he hears his name, Samuel. And he goes to Eli, and Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And Samuel, he goes again, and Eli says, if you hear that again, maybe it's God. And if it is, just say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And Samuel heard what God had for him, and God raised up Samuel to do great things. Chapter number four, as you go kind of through the beginning there with Samuel, we see that something, a battle takes place against the Philistines. And Israel, they took the Ark of the Covenant out there and it was stolen from them. And I think they just got used to God and to his and thinking, we take God out there, he's going to get us the victory. That's how it's going to work, but it doesn't always work that way. And a tragic story, you look at Eli and his family. The Bible talks about how Eli is an old man at this time. And Eli hears the news that the Ark's been taken and he falls over in his chair and breaks his neck and dies. Hophni and Phinehas have died. Um, his da Eli's daughter-in-law has a child. 
His name, Inkabod. The glory has departed. And we see a tragic story of a man that didn't train his sons right. And when God spoke to him about what to do, did nothing about it. And we see how that family, that was the end for them. See how God raised up Samuel. And if you want to read, it's so interesting. They, um, the God Dagon, and the guy on the video says it different than me, but I think I say it better than he does. But they take the Ark of the Covenant and place it in the house of their God. And they come in the next day, and their God is face down towards the Ark of the Covenant. So they pick their God up, and then once again, their God is bowing down to the Ark of the Covenant, showing the fact of how great the God of Israel is. There is no God, little g, that can ever match up with the God of heaven, the God of Israel, the God that we serve today. And we see later on the ark gets returned because wherever they take it and all these things, bad things keep happening to the Philistines. They finally give it back. And God used Samuel to restore Israel in some great ways. And it's amazing how the righteousness of one man made a difference in that day. And let me just encourage you tonight to do what's right. We live in a wicked world. There's wickedness all around us, but there's still, you can still make a difference today. You live for God. You do what's right. And you might look around and say, oh, but there's no one else around me that does. You know, you can be like Elijah there. There are still plenty of people serving God. You keep serving God. Keep doing what's right. Keep plugging away for God. And then we see, after Samuel, we see Saul mentioned. And Saul, it's very interesting. You go with me to chapter number 9, if you have your Bible here. And it says, 1 Samuel 9, verse number 2, it says, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. And so some people say that was his character. Some people say that was his height. And uh, we'll just say it could have been both, and we'll leave it at that there. And uh, if you want to say it's different than that, that's fine. But we see that Saul is a young man where you look at him, and he's a good man. He'd be one of those that you look at and be like, he could be king. If we were to pick, that's one of the guys that I would pick. And we see, you go down to verse number 15 of chapter number 9 here, and um, it says, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, you see, God was still speaking to Saul. Something that got my mind as I was reading through here. Samuel listened to God when he was a young boy. And we see Samuel as an old man. He's still listening to God and what God says to him. Good lesson for us to keep listening to God and to always listen to him. And... Uh, Verse 16, it says there, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, and he shall save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. Was it God's will for the children of Israel to have a king at this time? I would say no. But do you see how God in his love and mercy still helped his people out and let Saul, use Saul to do some of these things. Chapter 10, we see that Saul's anointed king and he does some amazing things, but we see what happens with Saul. He gets thinking too highly of himself. 
pride creeps in to the life of Saul. And let me just say, pride has a tendency to creep very easily into all of our lives. Pride, pride is a big thing. The Bible says only by pride cometh contention. Pride, pride's a big thing. And we see with uh, Saul here, why don't you go with me to chapter number 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Verse number 8, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and a peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. It came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And we see God had a plan. It was not Saul's job to offer an offering to the Lord. That was Samuel's job to come and do. And we see that Saul didn't wait. And isn't, isn't it interesting that as soon as he's done doing it, then there comes Samuel? He just didn't wait just long enough. And we see a great picture here of self-reliance and doing what Saul thought was best instead of following doing things God's way. And let me just remind us of something tonight. We need to follow and do things God's way. God's way is the best way with everything. And when we start thinking to ourselves and thinking that we know better or else we can do this, we can do that, be very careful. This is what started Saul on that slippery slope, so we call it, that led to a lot of other things. If you go to chapter 15 with me, when we look here at Saul, several things. Chapter 15, verse number 3, the Bible says, and uh, look at verse number 1, Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he lay wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek. And look what the Bible says. This is what God said to Saul to do. And utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, both both slay both men and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. God said, just literally take Amalek and destroy everything. That's what I want done. I know what they've done to Israel in the past. This is what you go and do, Saul. So look down at verse number 9. It says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed, 
utterly. So what did God tell Saul to do? I want you to destroy everything. What did Saul and the people do? They destroy the vile things, but the best of everything they save. They leave the king, they leave Agag alive. Go down to verse number 17 with me. Actually, go to verse number 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Did Saul follow what God told him to do? No. Did he partially do what God told him to do? He partially killed some things, right? But one thing you got to understand, and one thing my mom taught me as a boy, and my mom and dad both taught me, that partial obedience is not obedience. Obedience is doing what you're supposed to do. And then I also learned another lesson where obedience also wasn't not just doing it, but having a good attitude when I did it. And young kids in the room, pick up on this. You say, I want to obey my mom and dad like the Bible tells me to. Then when they tell you to do something, obey what they say. And have a good attitude about it at the same time. Yeah, and the kids in the room, that's what I always do. And then mom says, go empty the trash. And I'm like, I was playing my game, and I gotta go empty the trash. But I emptied it. That's not, that's not full obedience. But we see Saul says, I've obeyed. And look at what, Sam, what Samuel says, verse 14. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear. Why do I hear these animals still alive if you obeyed and did what you were supposed to do? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people, do you see now how Saul shifts the blame? The Bible says that Saul and the people did this. But Saul's like, the people, that's interesting, keep reading. It says, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice them to the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Verse 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And I was like, Just stay right here. Stay right here, Saul. You know, you remember when your parents, you do something by, just, just wait right here for a minute. Just, just hold on. Yeah, that sort of thing. And look at what he says in verse 17. Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have not gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Think about that one for a minute. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. 
and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. We see the fact that Samuel was rejected from being king because he did not obey God. Now, whatever the motive is, was Saul telling the truth here that he only did it because of fear of the people? It's still wrong. Because, and let me just remind us of something tonight. The way you live, the things you do, is important that you learn to obey God and do things his way. Do you, is, do you fear people or do you fear God? Saul was more concerned about making sure the people were happy than making sure God was happy. And there's a problem. I see it often, and let me just say, I say this, and I'm very careful when I say this, I have not raised a teenager. And in a few years, about five, I'm going to have a teenager in my house. And I hope I will listen to myself and what I say right now. I'm not an expert on raising kids. I'm far from it. We'll know if I did a good job at all when they're having kids and we see how my grandkids are being raised. That's one way to see. And like some of you in the room, I see your kids and see them raising kids like, yeah, you did a good job. That's good. But what I want you, but what I want you to see is this. I see it so often that parents will cave into their teenagers and let them live and do as they please because they fear them. Follow God and do what God tells you to do. That's my advice there. And like I said, don't have any teens yet, and you better watch out. We're going to have fun when you're a teenager. We are. We're going to be working together on this thing. It's a, and anyways, but you look at the beginning of the end for Saul, he was live, you think about this, when we live in fear of man and what man thinks of everything that goes on, it always leads to bad decisions on our part. What's so-and-so going to think if I do this? That should never be your question. Our question should be, what does God think of this? Sometimes when I preach, I might get a little hard on sin. I can't look at it and say, well, what is everybody going to think of what I say? No, what does God want me to say? Amen. And there's a fine line with all that, and I hope you kind of get what I'm trying to say. You go down to verse number um, 35, it says, And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. We've seen Samuel, we've seen Saul, and number three for 1 Samuel, third main character, we see David, an unlikely man marked by faith. And we see that when Saul didn't do the job, God raised someone else to do the job instead. Don't ever get the idea that you're not replaceable. What would people do without me? What would this church do without me as their pastor? Find another guy to be the pastor? 
and he could probably do a better job. None of us are irreplaceable. We could all be replaced. By the grace of God, we are what we are. We talked about that this morning. We see David, and we talk about him. And uh, we go back to chapter number, um, let's see, go to chapter 16, the very next page. And we see the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. You go down to verse number 7. And when Eliab passes by, Samuel said, Surely this is the one. I bet Eliab kind of looked like Saul. Saul, I'm sure, is the guy you would have picked to be king. Eliab was probably a guy you would have picked. And God tells something to Samuel that's very important. He says in verse number 7, Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And when Jesse called all of his sons together, he didn't even call David to the room. David was the unlikely one of who it would be. David was still out tending the sheep. And when we think of David, there are so many great things starting in the book of 1 Samuel that talk about him. And one of the things that I love, I mentioned I was talking to someone just the other day, and I love the Bible. The Bible is my favorite book. I got a compliment the other day from my, um, one of my students in my class at the college I teach at, and he's like, the one thing that's evident, he said, you're not the deepest teacher I have. I think he's saying I'm not the smartest teacher he has. And I agree with that statement. I, I agree. But he said, there's no denying that you love the word of God. I like that statement. He said, he asked, he was asking me this question, who are your favorite characters in the Bible? He said, Old Testament, I have three. Joseph, Daniel, and David. And he said, okay, well, why Joseph? Because, man, that guy went through a lot, and he, it seemed like he always passed the test of doing what was right. And I love the fact that God was with him, and he prospered where he was, and God used him in a great way. He kept a good attitude with his family members, all these things. So why Daniel? I said, well, Daniel, he purposed to do what was right, even in a, even in a heathen nation, and all these different things. And he, as an old man, he still prayed and went to the lion's den. And he's like, well, why do you like David so much? I said, because God says that David's a man after his own heart. And David had a lot of good moments, but David did a lot of dumb things. And in my life, and I don't, I've not done some of the things that David did in his life, but man, I can relate more to David than I can to Daniel and Joseph almost look like they look real good. David... I can identify a little bit more with that. The thing that I'm glad about is that God uses sinners. And David is called a man after God's own heart. And we see a lot of that unfold before our eyes because David, an unlikely man, the, the boy that was out still watching the sheep, why was he the one that was chosen to be king out of the other brothers and all these different things? Well, I think you could see it in the story of David and Goliath. You go down towards the end of the chapter of chapter 17, and you see with me, um, verse number 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. 
This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You know what we see? We see the fact that David was depending on God for that battle. And let me just remind us, and I know I've given you lots of little things through here. I love, one of the, I love the entire Bible. I love all the books of the Bible. As a, if I were to talk about in school, the two subjects I really liked. I really liked math and history. I love history. Some of my favorite things in the Bible to go and do, I love going through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, skipping some of 1st Chronicles, and then covering the rest of 2nd Chronicles and that whole thing. I love the history there of the children of Israel. It's one of the things that just, it's just me. And if you say, I didn't like history in school, well, that's you. I liked history. I like math. I still help our I liked math more then than now because I'm having to help kids like Caitlin with her geometry at school and uh, trying to remember that stuff. That's going to be a long time ago since I did that stuff. And, uh, but with David, one of the things that we see is the fact he was dependent on God. Saul got thinking very highly of himself. And Saul started making decisions for himself. And we see that David starts out a humble young man that sought to give God the glory for what happened. I believe that's one of the reasons why he's called a man after God's own heart. We keep on talking about David and going through chapter 18 talks about David and Jonathan and the friendship that they had. And that's quite a friendship. You look at Jonathan, Jonathan basically knowing that he should be the next king but stepping out of the way and helping, that was a, quite a friendship. And one of the things that we need to learn as, as people and people of God and part of church is to be a good friend. People want friends, but the real question is, are you a good friend? David and Jonathan, they were good friends to one another. They were there for one another. And a great lesson that could be learned looking at the two of them. David marries um, Saul's daughter, why he did that with all the issues that were coming ahead, who knows? Saul tries to kill his own son-in-law several times, and so I thank the Lord for my father-in-law now after hearing all the things that David's father-in-law tried to do to him. And um, David, while well, he's on the run from Saul, several of the Psalms were written. Psalm 18, Psalm 52, Psalm 53, Psalm 57. And David gathered his mighty men during this time, and David encouraged himself in the Lord and all of this takes place as we see at the end of 1 Samuel. Towards the end of the chapter, Samuel dies in chapter 25. David ends up after that time, he goes and lives with the Philistines for a little bit. Try and figure that one out. He's battling the Philistines and then he goes and lives with them and he never should have gone there. Saul keeps spiraling out of control. He goes and sees a, a witch at Endor. And, uh, and calls Samuel back from the grave to talk in chapter 28. And I've had, we, we got a couple people in our church that are like, did, did the woman really call Samuel back up? 
Or did God allow it? How did that all work? If you want to know my answer, I'll tell you privately, not right now. And, uh, but very interesting. And uh, be very careful in our world today. Mediums, witchcraft, sorcery, Ouija boards, all of that stuff. A Christian has no business messing with that stuff. And parents, don't let your children mess with that stuff. And I'll leave it there. But hey, put it on a TV show and it's okay, right? But anyways, let's keep on going there. I'll stop with that. Chapter 31, Saul's three sons are killed in battle. Saul gets hit by an arrow. He asks his armor bearer to kill him, and he wouldn't do it, so Saul kills himself. And his armor bearer does the same. And the book closes with a tragic story of Saul's family. And Saul... A life with such a great start that had so much potential has such a terrible ending. Why? Because of pride, dishonesty, and disobedience. A couple of things I want to give you in application as we round the finish line here tonight is a couple of things, some things about Saul and David, some differences between them that we could learn from. Saul, over time, was impressed with himself. David was impressed with God. And oh, Christian, be so careful. Don't become, don't glory, don't boast in yourself. There is nothing to boast about in ourselves. We talked about this morning, the only thing that we can glory in is in the cross and what Christ did for us on the cross. And Saul was impressed with self. David was impressed with God. And over and over again, we see David doing what he did out of his love for God. Why was David there in this? Why was David going to go to battle with Goliath? Because Goliath was speaking out against the God of Israel. And remember, his brother says, David, I know the naughtiness of your heart. I know why you're here. It's all about you and you trying to make yourself look good. And David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? That cause was the name of God was being blasphemed by this tall, ugly ogre. And someone needed to go out there and take this guy and show him who the God of Israel was. And David was just young enough and dumb enough to go and do it. And sometimes, and see, sometimes we look and it's, it's so funny. When you're young, you might be a little bit more reckless with things. But at least you go out and do something. The older you get, I remember when I was getting ready to start a church, my pastor looked at me and he said, Brian... I don't know if I'd go start a church today. I said, you did it 25, 30 years ago. I know, I'm a lot older and wiser now. He said, I was pretty dumb back then. I said, well, I'm pretty dumb like you were. And the, when you're young, you might be a little bit more reckless. And you need some wisdom from those that are older to help guide you, definitely. But, yeah, well, some that are real old in the room, Mona. Anyways, we won't go there. But... Saul was worried about his name. David was worried about the name of God. Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. What? I thought I was the guy who Israel was looking to. Why is David growing in fame? And we should never be worried about, oh, is someone greater than me? Someone getting more glory than I am? It's not about you and I. It's about the name of God and him being glorified. Saul sought his own glory and tried to kill David. David sought God's glory 
and didn't seek revenge. You think about that one for a minute. The fact that David had a few opportunities to take Saul and to take his life, and he would not have been on the run anymore, and he could have been king. And David said, who am I to touch God's anointed? God's the one who sets up kings and takes them down. He was already anointed to be the next king. What humility was displayed, what Christ-like attitude was displayed in his life. And Saul was a man who, imp- who impressed men, but David was a person who impressed God. That's important to remember. First Samuel teaches us a couple things, which goes back to, go back with me to chapter number two, and we're literally finishing here in just a moment. And then you're going to have to th- keep these thoughts till we talk about this again in a few weeks. Look at verse number one. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none besides thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. And they, were, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren had born seven. And she hath many children, is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces out of the heaven, and he thundereth upon them. And the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now Cana went to Ramah to the house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. And you see back there, she says in her song of praise, hey, no more talk of exceeding, don't talk proudly. Don't let arrogance come out of your mouth. 1 Samuel teaches us the fact that pride will bring a man low. Saul is a great example of that. Goliath is another example of a prideful man. Hey, bring out your best! Hophni and Phinehas are examples of pride. There are others in the book, but pride brings a man low. And then lastly, humility exalts a man. David was a lowly, faithful shepherd boy who believed God. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Does God ever deal well with proud people? Can anybody think of a time in the Bible where anybody that was proud, it ever went very good for them? 
You ever seen the Bible where it goes good for those who are humble? Yeah, over and over again. So remember this, pride brings a man low, but humility exalts a man. You say, well, perfect, I'm going to be humble so I can be exalted. You missed the whole thing of what I just said. Got to be very careful, pride is a very ugly thing. And just when we think we get control of pride in our life, we get prideful by the fact that we think we have it under control. Pride appears and appears and appears. The best way to stay humble, are you ready? Is to stay close to God. When you saw Isaiah and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he's like, whoa, who, who am I to be standing before, to be here? And when you stay close to God and you realize who he is and who we truly are, humility is a natural act from that. Father, we thank